0: This is Limitless Possibility, I'm Yannick Magna.
1: And I'm Luc Olivier de Meble. And
0: our topic this week is...
1: The iPhone 14 Pro is a blend update, or
0: is it? Oh... You're starting off with a clickbait, huh? I am. (laughs) All right. Uh, But first, I have some follow-up. So first of all, as I mentioned on the last episode, next episode is going to be the episode for Game of the Year for uh, 2022. So you still have two weeks to let us know your favorite games that you've played this week, either on Twitter or uh, wherever you can find me. Uh, I'm on all the places, co-host, Mastodon, you name it. Uh, So you know where to find me. Uh, Shout in a hole and I'll probably hear it.
1: Yeah, I was about to say shot in the void, and Yannick is already in the void. So exactly. Good to hear
0: you. Uh, next episode is also going to be the last episode of the year, so we're going to be going mm-hmm. on hiatus until January fifteenth, twenty twenty-three, when we return with episode one hundred ninety-seven. Speaking of game of the year, on last year's game of the year episode, I mentioned uh Tetris the Absolute Grandmaster Two Plus, uh, and More importantly, the TGM series as a whole and how sad I was that there were no proper home releases of the game. And uh, this is a story that comes up relatively often on the podcast where I talk about how Arika is notoriously strict in shutting down any fan recreations and uh, until fairly recently emulation of games in the series. And uh, the sad thing is the Tetris company essentially won't let Erika make TGM games anymore because a lot of the defining mechanics of TGM differ too much from what is required by modern-day Tetris licensing agreements. So, uh, until now, there have only really been two home releases of the TGM series. There was uh, Tetris the Grandmaster Ace on the Xbox 360, which was mechanically not really a TGM game. And there was Tetris with Cardcaptor Sakura Eternal Heart on the PS1, which is a really cool game. It's just... Not really a Tetris game. It's more a puzzle game that, uh, hmm. where you solve puzzles with Tetris pieces inside of predetermined uh, Tetris boards. However, today, on the day of recording, Arcade Archives, Tetris the Grandmaster, was released onto PS4 and Switch thanks to a collaboration between Arika and Hamster Corporation. Not sure how they got this one past the Tetris company, but <laughs> they have re-released TGM one on PS4 and Switch. You can buy it digitally for eight US dollars. I bought both platforms versions myself wow. in hopes that it would signal to the people uh, in charge that we want more tgm to be released or reissued digitally uh and i highly recommend it if you're a tetris fan at all if you uh pop in the game fairly regularly uh still play like tetris 99 or Puyo Puyo tetris 1 and 2 uh, or tetris effect semi-regularly and you want some of that juicy tgm action Uh, Definitely go support the series. Uh, It's not very expensive and you'll have a great time. It it is certainly not the easiest TGM game to play uh, nowadays. Uh, This is a TGM game that does not have hold for uh, keeping alternative pieces and it does not have hard drop. So you can't just press the up arrow to make the uh, the piece drop immediately which is incredibly hard to get used to playing to a game that does not have those things especially if you've been grinding a lot of Tetris 99 like I have um, <laughs> but uh, after a couple hours of adjustment uh, it's a lot of fun and I have been neglecting my other duties by playing this game all day after work <laughs> so uh, yeah I definitely recommend that uh, if you're a listener of the show you'll probably love it go check it out.
1: Can you repeat the price? Eight
0: U.S. dollars.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so it's pretty low investment to even buy both versions of the game, both yeah, on yeah. PS4 and Switch.
0: Yeah, that's why it was kind of a no-brainer for me. If they were charging eighty dollars, maybe I would have thought about it twice. But
1: yeah, yeah, and it's not the Black Friday. Oh, I know we're way past this by these days. The those deals are like three weeks long, but there's no like a uh, like U.S. Thanksgiving deals for this price. It's well, it's very price. rare that you
0: have a deal on launch day. Uh, true but, but yeah this is launch day pricing it's eight dollars uh and it was not marked as being on sale at all uh so i hmm. think it cost me ten dollars on the e-shop in canadian dollars and twelve dollars on psn
1: wow that's
0: nice yep that's it for me we can get into the main topic
1: good so this week i want to talk about the iphone 14 pro mainly because uh this year is the year i upgraded my phone but also i want to discuss a recurring feeling i have towards smartphone uh, nowadays as it will not be a surprise to anybody uh, that also i'm sure includes yannick uh, i've owned iphones more or less since they've existed not all of them but my smartphone i've been an iphone since 2007 uh, fun not funny enough but I didn't mention that I would no i didn't own the other smartphone, and that's kind of true too so the iPhone is officially uh my first smartphone, but for how long uh, as long as I can remember like p d a smartphone or any form of small pocketable computers I've been a great curiosity of mine uh if you may recall, even just in our previous episode, uh, when Yannick was talking about the Sony Vaio product lineup, I mentioned you mentioned the Clie, and I also mentioned those small like uh, I even forgot their name again, but they're small like PCs with the weird screen and then the, the flip up Oh yeah, UMPCs. Keyboard. Yes, those UMPCs. Thank you. I was also lucky when I was younger that my father owned a Palm PDA, so I was able to play with a pocketable computer uh since a young age. So that you can imagine that when the iPhone launched, I really wanted to have one of those. But more recently, after uh owning the iPhone eleven Pro for three years and now with this iPhone fourteen Pro upgrade or update, I kind of have this general feeling that pocket computers are now a call to smartphones, sadly, and that smartphone themselves including even some of the Android devices, which I, these days, keep uh, an eye on, but we we don't follow, they have more or less becoming bland appliances. So to directly answer my clickbaity opening, uh, I do find, I do struggle to figure out on which side I am these days. Some days I feel kind of like, yeah, it's, my phone is my phone, and I don't regret my choice on being on the Apple platform, but at the same time, I don't feel excited as I used to be uh, of owning an iPhone. And other days, and you will see a couple of reasons why uh, I love it. Like, I like the functionalities, I like the performance, but it's never like. It's in equilibrium right now. It's like certain days I feel on the board slash plan. On the other days I still feel excited and I still feel curious about what will be coming next in the smartphone industry. So this has come more or less a long preamble to explain how this year I want to review my new iPhone and the iPhone 14 Pro. As more or less somebody that was quite excited to get a new phone but quickly went back to... A general feeling that I've been having in the last, let's say, six to eight months, more uh, or less, let's say, twenty twenty-two, that smartphones are getting bland, and I need to figure out if that's okay that they are getting bland. So this episode is going to be this journey. So let's get started. So let's get the first part out of the way, is, which is which phone did I get? So uh, I've been on the Pro lineup of phones since the 11 because that was the first official Pro phone that Apple has released. Um, again, coming from an update of the iPhone 10 at that point. So this time around, the iPhone 11 Pro uh, that I got in green eh, with 256 56 gig of storage got replaced by an iPhone 14 Pro in the purple with again same amount of storage. So I think the first element I want to discuss this time around is a the color, but more generally speaking, uh, the design. And we will start with the color. I do really enjoy that for the past I think three years now uh, that Apple is introducing one like flagship color for uh, their pro lineup Um, with the 11 pro it was green and i think throughout the years i've mentioned that i love green in this podcast um um and then with the 12 it was a shade of blue yeah i think so yeah I was I don't know why I wasn't sure about that. So for twelve it was a more darker blue. I forgot the exact marketing name they gave it. But then with the thirteen, uh they gave it a lighter shade of blue, which now I don't know why I didn't take note of the name, but uh I'm blanking on the name too, but it was something like Alpine Blue or something like fancy like uh fancy like that. But one of the things that started to happen, I think it was with the twelve lineup, is in the iPhone got a mid-year cycle upgrade for colors only. So for example, um, the 13 Pro in February, if I recall correctly, of 2022 got a new green. So both the uh, the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 13 Pro did get this green color in different shades of green. And it was hard to resist because again, as I mentioned, it was a no brainer for me when the iphone 11 pro got released and people were complaining about the shade of green use it's 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 a it's a dark light grayish green no no i still have it next to me right now on my desk next to my other uh, test devices yes it's light or it's uh, a, a green u on uh, a gray of a gray color i would say but i'm pretty happy that i chose this one and i think the same thing can be applied to uh deep purple as a color uh there was a lot of complaints or i would say a lot of disappointment from reviewers that the purple was not purple enough um and i think it's a critics uh, it's a critic that is still valid uh, that can be applied to a lot of the pro colors but uh I do like it still. Uh, I think it it is a different spin on different color. And it is giving some flair to those more blend devices that are more or less getting our smartphone. So for sure, nowadays, a lot of people are putting cases on their phone. But having colored phone, I think to me, still uh, something that manufacturers should do. And guess what? A lot of them are doing that, including Apple. The next point on the design that the iPhone 13, 14 allowed me to experience is the quote-unquote square-edge design. And the reason I put it in quotes is because it is not new. This is the third phone uh, in the new lineup or in the li- the, the new square-edge design lineup. Um, so, But for me, it is the first phone I own in this lineup. As you may remember the iPhone 11 and 11 Pro still had the iPhone 10 that was inspired by the iPhone 6 like rounded edges design uh, and then with the launch of the iPhone 12 and then the 13 and now the 14 Apple went back to this square edge design that was uh, I would like to say a design cue from the past like from the iPhone past um You may recall a long, long time ago, 95 episodes ago, to be exact, on episode 100, Yannick and I discussed our favorite Apple product of all time. And I was personally fond of the last Square Edge iPhones, my beloved iPhone 4S, or even the 5S, or even the exact copy that is just with modern internals that was the first generation SE. Like, I was missing this design and I felt that Having the square edge, while it feels more like a slab and it like pokes in your hand, uh, I am more in the like it camp of this argument versus the other side of the camp where people say no, I missed the rounded corner. It's better it, the rounded edge. Excuse me, it's better to grab it in my hands. And I was missing this presence when you were holding the phone day to day, and I'm pretty really glad that Apple went back uh, to this. The rest, though, uh, well, the design, we'll talk about it a bit more, but that's the main cues I wanted to discuss. Color and, for sure, shape of the body. So that's kind of pretty neat. Uh, it starts on a good note. Like Even if I was saying it's a plan update, I think, uh, for me, those are two good points. But still, uh, we'll talk about more. So now that the design is out of the way, I want to start to address some of the new functionalities that the iPhone 14 Pro as compared to the previous generation. Uh, for sure, I want I, I don't want to go into too much technical details about CPU and RAM and things like that. It's things that you can easily Google and find about, but the TLDR on those points is, you know what? You get more RAM, you get a better CPU, you get a better GPU, or, or else, you get a better uh, system on a chip, and guess what? It is better than the last year's model. And... Do I feel it in the day and day day and day of you, me using the phone? No, not really. Again, uh, I'm not doing any like movie editing or even photo editing on the phone. I don't think taxes that much the SoC nowadays we're not in the iPhone 4 or iPhone 5 days where that would have been a different story. But nowadays for even me as a nerd, the 999 Person of tasks I do with my phone, like I never feel like e- even today. Like if I, I I was using today my Element Pro because now it's in my lineup of test devices. Like this one doesn't feel slow even after it three years. It's so crazy that those uh, system on the chip are so performant that even two three years down the road with new OS features, new software updates, like they just still feel blazing fast. So. I expect that that will still be the same in two years from now. Uh, that I guess most of the f- f- most of the features or most of the application we do day in and day out on our phones are not really taxing those chip, and I don't think that's about to change either. So that's more or less what I have to say about the more kind of a tech nerd uh, s- specs of the new phone. I don't have that much to say. It's just like. And that I think is one of the reasons why possibly I get this sense of blendness. you swap like you could put the iPhone eleven pro in um iPhone fourteen pro case, and for performance purposes, I wouldn't feel that different uh to be honest.
0: It's really funny because I was thinking about that last week uh or actually in the weeks before when I was slowly getting off of Twitter. And I realized it was the first time I was going to change my doc in 10 years on my phone. Because my doc has always been line, my Japanese dictionary, tweet bot, and overcast from left to right. And... Uh, first of all, I had to find, like, something to put in the tweet TweetBot hole because otherwise I would just, like, keep pressing it out of instinct every time I would go to my phone. Right. Uh, so I put my Mastodon client there instead. Mm. Uh, but it, it was really funny because the tasks I'm doing 95% of the time on my phone are exactly the same ones as I was doing 10 years ago. and. I don't know when that will change. I don't know when any of these apps will be replaced by other apps because in many cases, the apps that I'm using right now don't seem like they will ever be dethroned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm just sticking with these things. And then like the remaining 5% is just like mostly work apps really like the stuff for our HR system and stuff like that that I use from time to time. But like my core apps have stayed the same for so long. And until those apps start being slow, I don't really feel the need to get a new phone.
1: Right. No, uh, and I feel you on this because a lot of the things I do day in, day out, whether they're personally or professionally, that would tax. Let's be clear, like tax the CPU because what I do in my in my life or in my professional life doesn't really tax a GPU at all, to be honest. I don't do any ML training on things like that, even if I build iOS apps. Uh, But they mainly tax the CPU. And even then, like, that's usually where we get improvements, for sure, like Swift compiling. Like, I, I guess if I was compiling Swift code on my phone, I would see a difference by getting a new CPU. But guess what? It's not something that I think is viable and will ever be, which... Sounds strange to say, but I kind of feel confident that compiling code will never be a thing on phones. And I don't know if I'm okay with that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm going in a small tension about compiling code on phone, and then some... Some of our re- uh, listener that has done that for once in their life, they'll be like, "Yeah, I've done that, and it's amazing that to get an ECPU." But
0: I mean, I've done that, but it was a long time ago. I there was a brief yeah. time when you could actually install the iPhone toolchain directly onto the iPhone itself. And you could compile code for jailbreak purposes and whatnot directly on the phone instead of having to do it on a Linux computer or on your Mac or whatever. And it worked. It wasn't especially fast, but it was fast enough if you were doing just, like, jailbreak tweaks or whatever. Like, I wouldn't see myself building a whole app on it. But for small bits of code, it's fine.
1: True, true, true. I I guess what I'm trying to do as a picture on on this quick tangent that I think we should wrap up is that... To go back to what you were saying, that the four same apps on the, where and the still are in the dock from 10 years ago is, I think, not just a, a sentiment that I have to. Is. Most people have a couple things they do on their phone and they just do that. And let's be honest, for a lot of people, including ourselves, is it is browsing either a website or data from an API. And that's not really that much intensive on any computer nowadays so why why have the race to the best cpu out there knowing that in most cases people don't take advantage of it but again we'll see where uh down the road in this episode where i don't see the benefit but i do because we know from what apple has said that the new chips are been used for those purposes but Just by the small task I've been doing, not small tasks, uh, just by what I do with the phone, like the fact that the CPU is like, what, I think it was 8% or 11%, I forget uh, exactly, but in the 10% range faster, doesn't change a thing in how I enjoy the phone or not. Speaking of new elements that you can possibly see a difference, uh, the first new feature about the iphone 14 that i want to discuss that for some for some people can be considered a groundbreaking change is the always-on display uh and this is the main feature i would say uh, of this new generation of pro iphone for some and uh, i guess i'm spoiling part of the part of the that section but for some not me uh apple adding an always-on display is really a hashtag finally moment uh (laughs) uh, android smartphone and even most of the competition uh i guess famous that's where we can talk about blackberry or even the nyoka phones from windows phone
0: yeah windows phone had that
1: they add that kind of display for years at this point but like with any feature that Apple is catching on to the competition, uh, their implementation of Always this one is, let's put it this way, Apple-like or Apple-centric. The main difference to what people may have been used on the other side, so on other smartphones, is that it's a black screen with a limited set of information. And more recently, recent generation have improved on that. But... It's not like what Apple just shipped or there was a couple of uh, phones that did, but generally speaking, it is not. So the Apple, Apple's implementation of Always On on the iPhone 13, 14 Pro and Pro Max is your exact locked screen containing the exact same information, but just in a low power state, in a dim state. You see your wallpaper, you see your notification, you see your widget, for sure, excluding uh, any sensitive data. But what you expect to see on your lock screen is what you see when the screen is always on. I think it was someone
0: on the talk show who said that technically, like the iPhone's always on display is the only one that's literally an always on display because most other displays are just a partially lit display where only the certain pixels are lit up. Whereas Apple is the only one that is like, no, here's your whole ass wallpaper uh, in the background and we'll actually make sure to l- light v- v- to a small degree every pixel on the screen, which is, y- you haven't really seen that. I-, I can't say I'm a tremendous fan of, well, either always on display is traditionally or this implementation. I'm the kind of person who wouldn't even enable on sc- uh, always on display on the watch either. So mm-hmm. I- I don't personally, I would turn this off.
1: Uh, It's funny that you mentioned the watch because I'm still rocking my Series 4, which was the last generation before Always On Display. So I have not experienced this. I only uh, transitionally or... No, that's not what I'm looking for, but Tony as a series six, if I recall correctly uh so I've seen an Apple watch with an always on display, and I've seen people complain in my own also about possibly the impact on battery life or things like that so uh to go back on the iPhone, it is, like I've experienced and we'll talk a bit more about I've seen tangentially uh those other experiences, but to me, this is my first experience with an always on display especially on my main uh, my daily driver phone I, if i recall correctly like when i had a couple of android phone around me more or less around 10 years ago that was at the inception of always on displays on android smartphones or other smartphones but they mainly started with like just having an always on clock for example uh i have a more quote unquote recent example which is uh, i think one of the first few ones, uh, the Nexus 6, Nexus 6, uh, that was available here in Canada. I think the the Droid or the Motorola X phones also had that. But like Yannick mentioned, they would only light up a certain portion of the display to show your notification. And for people that don't like that, the current implementation of always on display on iOS is show everything that is on your lock screen. Uh, While this OS version is not out at the time of recording, but iOS 16.2 will include more options to tweak, not just a toggle on or off, always on. So in settings, when uh, 16.2 gets released, and hopefully that doesn't change with the new beta versions of it, uh, you right now can toggle on and off the wallpaper. So if you toggle it off, you more or less end up with a black screen, uh, which will go back to... I haven't i've I've seen a couple of photos on the web and a couple of videos It seems to me that it's a black screen and not a gray screen so that you can take advantage of it would the be OLED.
0: so dumb if it was it,
1: it would it would be and I hope so but again uh it's for that it's sometimes hard to judge uh by a picture of a phone and not seeing the phone in person so I'll wait to uh I'll wait for the uh, the 16.2 release to be out to be the judge of that. But you can also uh, disable the showing of notification uh, on the always-on screen uh, if you want. So my understanding of that is for sure uh, the notification content is considered sensitive data. So it's not shown, but you do see the notification cells show up when you have your phone uh, unlocked. and uh, not no your phone uh, on a table facing up, I should have said. Uh, So if a notification comes in, you do see a notification comes in, uh, you might know which app it it is from, but not the exact content. So you'll have that to see for uh, more customization of the always-on display. So now knowing that this implementation of always-on is unlike what other smartphone manager has shipped. Uh, and that is also my first real-on experience of having that on my daily driver phone. What do I think of it? And to be honest, I have mixed feelings. Um, at this point, we're in like about nearly two months since I've received my iPhone 14 Pro. Uh, and I'm still shocked and surprised sometimes <laughs> when I look at my phone. I'm like, why the fuck is my phone a- a- on? And I was like... Oh, yeah, always on display. Like, I am shocked to my bones when I, I have this thought that sometimes pop in. And other days, the phone is on my table in front of me when I work and I'm like, la, 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 la. Okay. I'm listening to podcasts and I'm like two thirds way in the episode and I just like skim uh, through the, uh, always on display showing my progress. And that's business as usual, but. Uh, I've seen, though, that this happens more when I'm in the living room and the phone is on the coffee table on my uh, dinner table where I'm just like roaming around it and not it being in my presence like in my close presence. Uh, Those are the moments where it still happens, this surprise of like, oh no, I left my iPhone. Oh no, it's not on. Lock screen jump scare. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's, oh yeah, that's a a funny uh, way to describe it. But yes, they are jump scares. You're correct. Even before that, uh, I did have the somewhat regular habit of leaving my phone uh, face down. Mm. uh, Because... even before Always On Display, I was, I and I still am, a big proponent of when you pick up your phone, it kind of like wakes up uh, by itself. So the, it uses the geometer to detect movement and then it would wake up the screen. And especially for Face ID phone, it will then start triggering Face ID if it is proximity to your face. So that that for me was an habit of like, oh if I leave it down, I knew this the sensor would not try to do that because it know it was facing down. So I realized that nowadays I do that even more when the phone is not in my pocket. Uh I would take the conscious decision and be like, you know what? I don't need to see my phone screen and I don't see any notification to pop in or I don't care about the podcast progress. I'll flip my phone and put it down. And for sure, as you might imagine, the phone detects that and, of course, shuts down its display. Uh, Another one that is a great uh, or positive uh, jump scare is if you're an Apple Watch wearer and you leave your phone in one room and move far away from it or in another room, let's put it this way. I tried it... uh, maybe about 5 meter-ish, and for sure there's a time delay for it to happen, but the iPhone and the watch will detect that they're not closer to each other so that the iPhone knows that you're not close to it, so that there is no reason to leave your display on, so it would turn it off. And this feature is, quote-unquote, slow enough. It sounds bad to say it this way, but... <laughs> it, it, <laughs> For sure, with Bluetooth connectivity and especially detection of length or distance between two Bluetooth devices, it's not really precise or fast. Uh, when you walk back close to your phone, you would see it like light up. Like it's not, it detects that you have been close to it already and it's already light up so, you, so that you don't see it. Like the first few moments I've seen, I was like, oh yeah, that's why it's like, turning it back on, is because I'm close uh, back to it um related last last point related to the habit of more or less uh turning back my phone to uh, make it face down um at this point uh i also recently updated to 16.1 i think this week no today uh, i have updated ipad to 16.1 earlier this week but my phone it was today uh i don't have that much apps that take advantage of the always-on display like I think I have a uh, a calendar widget and then the two other widgets are uh, from Alide to quickly uh, launch their camera application. But again, um, oh yeah, so I was still running 16.0.3, I think today, uh, which meant that most of the public APIs for live activities were not available to third-party apps. Uh, That came in in uh, 16.1. So... If there was any third-party apps that were not audio apps, and we'll discuss that uh, a bit while later on, um, they couldn't have access to uh, live activity. And it meant that unless they were widgets showing me data, I'm not a big widget fan uh, in general, or not fan, but just general user of that functionality. uh, Like, you more or less end up with notification on your lock screen and then what's the purpose of just uh, seeing notification on your lock screen which means that if i'm paying the tax of having an always-on display we should talk about battery life Mm -hmm. because at this point i think i think even if i find limited functionality with it I feel that an always-on display should have been a feature we uh, we would have had on the iPhone for a couple of years now. So there's a, a there's a sense of the f- iPhone feel modern again because of that. Because I've seen friends with an red phone that add any fashion of always-on information on their screen, and I think that makes sense in general that your phone would wake itself up or just like show you important information as status information always present on its screen even if it is locked Um, so i think there's kind of a modernity if i can say so to that feature but do i really enjoy the feature i won't say no but i'll say meh
0: It feels like a checkbox that Apple is forced to take off because the market demands it, and yet it's so unappealing for, like, a big chunk of people. (laughs) Like, I I don't see the point of it at all, but then again, I'm the kind of person who sets his lock screen to notification count so that I don't even see my notifications on the lock screen Mm. because I don't want to see them. Right. I really like the stuff that they've done with Face ID, where you don't actually see the content of the notifications unless you're actively looking at your phone and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where I think, well, the only thing this always on display is going to show me is really realistically the time. And I don't need that because I have an Apple Watch or I have another display in front of me that already has the time on it. So there's nothing really to be gained by an always on display aside from potentially accidentally exposing information I don't want to other people who happen to be around my phone, which is just not something I'm interested in. So I'd rather just turn the whole thing off and save the battery life, uh, which I, I I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that.
1: Right, and maybe a quick note about the privacy aspect. I think overall um, that has been handled quite well by the fact that the Apple Watch adds an all-win on screen for years. And a lot of the APIs okay, I'll do a quick dev tangent, but a lot of the APIs, especially for WidgetKit, or even SwiftUI in general, as view modifiers to just say, like, this contains sensitive data. So when you don't, when you know you shouldn't show sensitive data on screen, or on the lock screen, or on a complication, just do your magic to hide it. And unless somebody puts your phone in front of your face, like, they might just know that you've received a notification from that app, but even even if you were just using the notification account, they wouldn't know. So I don't think it's a like it's a worry you should have too much on that front. I think they've done a pretty good job to make sure that it's not like you're not accidentally leaking information.
0: But what's the price you have to pay to have that screen on all the time?
1: <laughs> right, which we'll talk about it. The last other thing is. Uh, the last thing I wanted to conclude about the always-on display itself to me is I agree with your, the point you said is one of the main functionality I like about it is the clock. And I think I like it a lot on my phone now because I don't have an always-on display on my smartwatch. I think the benefit of having an always-on display right now would be greatly diminished if I had an always-on smartwatch. Which... That might might not come. I'm still uh, waffling whether I should upgrade my uh, Series Four or or not, or just like wait until the battery "quote unquote" literally dies before I do so. Uh, but today is not an Apple uh, an Apple Watch episode; it's an iPhone episode, so I don't I won't dwell too much on that. Battery life. Um, I think the. <laughs> It's fair to start a battery life conversation by saying it's great to have a fresh new battery, <laughs> N- knowing or not like you could, I could have done that on my phone eleven pro, and funnily enough, uh I did end up swapping this phone a year after buying it. uh I don't know what happened during uh, 2020, but I, for the first time in since two thousand seven, like broke a phone. I uh I don't know how, still to this day, but I accidentally cracked my uh, camera plateau. I forgot the, how we should call the the plateau. I guess where all the lenses are. But uh, I checked the corner there, uh, and I realized literally when I was talking to Tony and looking at something on the phone, he was like, uh, "You broke your phone." I was like, uh, "What?" Stop trolling me! It's like, no, I'm serious. You broke your phone. So, the moral of the story is even if I had a three year old phone in theory or in practice, I should say, I had the two year old battery because uh to replace the battery at that point with apple care they just and it was still early pandemic at that point, so when i went I was able to go to the Apple store, they just literally swapped the phone uh, and that happened uh the in fall 2020 and I bought the phone in fall 2019 yeah, so a year in uh so again uh, even for a two-year-old battery it's always fun to have a fresh battery uh i would say that i've seen some in back on the always on screen because it it kind of reminds me of older phones remember like maybe the 5s or i don't want to compare to the 6s because 6s battery life was really bad (laughs) but like iphone 6 iphone 7 like they had good battery life even for people that are not like spending their whole day on their phone like replying to tweets or like replying to emails like to somebody like me that their phone is locked most of the day i look at tweets here and there Uh i listen to music or podcasts sometime during the day i would still end up in the maybe the 35 to 45 range after the end of the day whereas with an iphone s uh, an iphone 10 an iphone my iphone 11 pro when it got a fresh battery i would end up into the maybe 50 to 60 range depending of what i've done during that day in the first let's say six months uh with to before i uh, yeah before i continue on like what is my experience with the iPhone uh, 14 Pro? I would just like to know that I usually unplug my phone when I wake up around seven or eight during a normal weekday, and I put it back on its charger uh, around 10 p.m. ish again, based on weekdays uh, when I go back. To, uh, I go to bed, or I, I should say, go to bed because. I have the bad habit of looking at my phone in the bed, but really when I want to go, go to sleep uh, is the best way to describe it. So it does mean that like 7 to 22 is like a 15-hour day. Uh, I would end up with a greater variance, meaning that I think nowadays I would get to between 40% remaining to in the best days for fifty five sixty. 60 but for sure if I'm a bit more conscious on the moments where my phone screen is light up and I should not care if about the data it's trying to show me, so I try to make it face down, I would be more into the 50 to 60 range, which was like I used to have with the 11 Pro. Uh, there's been a lot of reviews and a lot of expectation that the iPhone 13 Pro battery was pretty good. Uh, so people that are doing year-to-year upgrades have seen... A downgrade for it, generally speaking for me, I think it reminds me of the eleven pro uh but for sure if it's a day where I've interacted a lot with the screen, especially in always on mode it's i think it's a, it's in the lower tier of what I would experience with a fresh battery with my previous phone so to me, I think it's good enough uh but I do miss the few months i had especially with the 11 pro and the iphone 10 that i could in most in certain cases with uh light charging maybe before going to bed or putting into low power mode during the night i could do nearly two days uh, or at least like I, the next day i would need to be charged around like let's say 5 p.m or around dinner time uh, it would be like maybe 5 10 percent remaining so I I tried that more recently and I had to put it on the charger f- around five again. So it is achievable, but it greatly depends on how frequent the display is on. So I, I think here, what I'm trying to say is your mileage may vary depending of your, your own usage of the always-on display. Um, A lot of people have been mentioning online, generally speaking, because on iOS 16, you can now use the Taptic Engine as a vibration feedback or just feedback when you type. Uh, mm-hmm. I had that on with the iPhone 11 Pro, and to me, it seems the impact was negligible and it seems to be the exact same thing with the 11 Pro. Oh, uh, really? The 14 Pro. You
0: found it negligible? Uh, with the 11 Pro, yeah. Oh, on my 10R, it's fairly noticeable, but I like it so much that I don't care, <laughs> and i leave it on. Really?
1: Yeah. What do you mean by like noticeable like you you see a big like 15% percent 10 percent difference if you were to disable my it?
0: battery is uh is in the low power area much earlier in the day than it was before hmm. I enabled it before I could get to maybe like 8 or 9 p.m. without hitting the low power area and right. now it's pretty consistently around 6 or 7 hmm so a few hours less before it what? hits like 20% yeah
1: yeah ah oh okay the uh, totally not my experience with the 11 pro like i i didn't realize like i didn't meant like felt that since i was 16 launch that my battery life took a dive uh, on the 11 pro i think it's just getting old in general so that's what i was feeling uh but more than that not my experience okay so more of the stuff with battery i would <laughs> At first, when I watched a lot of the reviews or read a lot of the reviews that like people were complaining about the battery life and always on, I'm like, you know what? I, I would have expected or my, my first interpretation of that was like, really? Like I, usually Apple is good with this. And I think they're still good, but for sure, uh if you want to get the best battery life on those phones, I think it it was a general consensus when they first launched an always on display on the watch is that you should turn it off if you don't really care for it and then maybe wait a generation or two and and then it will improve i kind of wish that we didn't add that on the phone that with the experience of the apple watch that we would be able to get a let's say gen 2 or gen 3 type of always on display already even if it's the first phone that gets it but it seems that with the bigger screen there's still some things to be tweaked uh, in that department
0: Another thing I'm particularly uh, curious about with regards to the longevity of these uh, phones is the always-on display's impact on display Mm burn-in, because I know a lot of people with Android phones and uh, Windows phones and all of that stuff who have had burned-in always-on clocks and (laughs) burned-in always-on notification displays, and... I think that's concerning, but I also think that Apple's approach to have it sort of mimic an on display and not necessarily just being white text on otherwise black background kind of diminishes the likelihood of that happening compared to Android phones. Right. Um, but yeah, I would love to see like more extensive research. Obviously, uh, it will take time because these things don't just happen instantly.
1: Right, and I think that, w- that was the general consensus even when Apple introduced the OLED display in the iPhone X was that don't put a, ba- a black background into your OS because then you'll a- end up with an outline of icons burned into your display. But if you just use your phone with a, a more colorful or a, like a less solid color, especially black or gray or white as a background, uh the techniques I guess that Apple is doing to minimize burn-in seems to work. Um, it's kind of funny that you mention burn-in again because we discussed literally that, about that today yeah. uh, offline about the Nintendo Switch OLED which I guess in the years to come we'll have experience because t- Tony recently bought the Switch OLED uh, so we shall see. Uh, and then I have experience with that with my LG TV that is experiencing uh, not a Big amount, but some amount of burn-in after, or, yeah, after five years. So, so yeah, My, have my a,
0: grandparents have a completely ruined, completely blue television that has been burned into shreds as well. LG as yeah. well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, every time we Tony and I talk about the burn-in impact on the TV, it's like, yeah, I love OLED so much. Its main downside is burn-in, though. That's the main downside of oled and it's so sad because colors are so great on all that but okay i digress again okay uh next feature i want to discuss is the dynamic island and i think the dynamic island is apple at its best more or less figuring out a way to transform a technical constraint into a joy of user experience this time is literally transforming a punch hole display design into a central way to interact with, I like to call it state changes, uh, or current state of the operating system. From uh, app showing certain state, whether it's like an app playing music or uh, the clock app running a timer to having AirPods connection notification, the Dynamic Island is the new destination for transient information coming from the OS. Um, it's not showing any notification in that area Notification are still banner that comes down. If you have it enabled in such a way in such that way. So apps now can wire themselves in into that area to show state when they are quote unquote running in the background. We all know that apps are not running officially in the background, except certain specific apps. Uh, and for sure you need to be on iOS 16 and, uh, be running on the iPhone 14 pro. Um, I don't want to go to the exact list of default OS behavior, but if you're curious and want to know all the different behaviors, a different app that shows status and state in the dynamic island, I'll include a link in the show notes to MacRumors That does exactly that. And for sure that list was compiled when the phone launched so it's not taking advantage of 16.1 and all the third-party apps that could have been updated since launch or even since this recording that now takes advantage of it Uh, personally speaking most of the third-party apps i use don't take advantage of it the only ones that do is because they are audio apps and audio apps uh defaults integration already works with the dynamic island and with live activity that we discussed in the all always on display section
0: i think technically if i had called you uh through line on your phone it would be using the call kit integration and it would also get it for free
1: that's my thinking that uh i think you're correct uh because facetime does it and do i receive third party call kit calls i don't think i do I
0: think I've seen uh, a screenshot somewhere of Slack doing it as well, which, mm, which also uses Cla- CallKit. Right.
1: Uh, if you've watched or read any iPhone 13, uh, 14 Pro reviews, uh, people have been quick to point out that the main user interaction of the Island feels reversed to them. And I would like to go a bit on a tangent about that uh, because by default, the, when you tap that region, and I should describe so. Apple decided to move the uh, notch, which contains the face ID and the selfie camera, a bit lower in the screen and then more like making a punch hole display that you might already have seen, have seen excuse me, uh, on Android phone. But now it's more of a bigger punch hole than just for the selfie camera. It also includes a shrinked uh, face ID module, uh, but still it's big enough to be quote unquote an island in the sea of pixels, uh, if we want to be poetic for a sec. But uh, the two uh, main components are separated by pixel that in most cases are light up into black that makes this island. So it means that you can tap in between the two sensors, which is a selfie camera and the face ID sensors, and tap a touch target on the display, which is this dynamic island. And by default, when an app is showing state in it, When you tap in that area, it would open the app. If it's an app, and I think the best example right now is an audio app. Let's say, let's talk about the forecast. We talk a lot about the forecast here. So you're listening to a podcast in it and you want to quickly just pause it. You could go back in control center, swipe uh, top right section. It shows there, but you'll see that. In the dynamic allen, it is showing the state that it's playing. It's also showing the, uh, the chapter art, or even if it's an album, the album art. Uh, but if you long press there, you'll be able to get the same or closely similar uh, interaction that what you would have expected to see the lock screen widget that is for the now, the now playing lock screen widget. So play, pause, crop, and think there is volume but i'm not sure i haven't taken note of all the the settings and in those reviews that i've been mentioning they they they, they mentioned that they felt that a we should for a quick action like i don't want to go in the app to just press pause for a sec i just want to tap on it it's already where i'm already back to scrolling to the browser or somebody talking to me i just want to quickly tap on it press pause and then not have to do a long press to have to show intent that i don't want to use it as a multitasking manager or switcher i want to use it as a place where the os is showing me important information that i need to have quick access to and while i agree with this explanation Personally speaking, I feel, though, that the dynamic island is not an element I interact with a lot. The main reason I interact with is because I'm a nerd nerd that read those reviews and watched those YouTube videos (laughs) where people complain about it. So sometimes I just like long press to see what it does. But I think its main benefit is as a subtle way to indicate state of an app running or state changes in the West, like the notification or the the old pop-up banner that says, oh, your AirPods are not connected. I see that if you play audio now, like I show you their charge state, uh, their battery level. And then it's a quick indication that if you play audio now, it will be routed to your AirPods. Like those quick, quick transient information. I don't want to call it notification because they're not. They're just like transient bunch of information. Is what I liked about it. Not that it's interactable, because you know what? Like, for right now, the way it's implemented, a lot of that information is easily available somewhere else. Like, if I have a timer running, it shows on the lock screen, Um, so I don't need to interact with the 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 dynamic element. I just can just tap on the live activity section for timer and just press play, stop, pause start uh, like also i think you can do like lap timer there too and things like that so to me the fact that it is more more or less a menu bar for ios is what i like about it and less that it is interactive but i can see i can be convinced or even with more third-party apps and i think that's where i will maybe fall in that camp, sooner rather later, is that once more applications, not just Apple's application, are updated to that to use that and see what people do. I even as a developer, I haven't looked at the API, so I'm not even sure what you can do, like what the, are the crazy things you can do. I think to me that's a time will tell whether it is good or not to interact with it and not just it being a nary on your screen where you get information.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that of the iPhone 14 features, this one was the one that I felt the most FOMO for, the most immediately. Uh, And I have a good example for this. Uh, We had provincial elections shortly after uh, the phones came out, and I had to go to the polling booth, and it was at some place that I wasn't sure where I was going, so I had the walking directions up on my phone, and I was juggling overcast to listen to my podcast and skip around I was juggling a conversation with you and I was juggling the walking directions on my phone at the same time and this was still in the time frame where like reviews had just come out for this phone mm-hmm. and I was like oh man I could really use the dynamic island right now to just know if I need to turn here or not or whatever uh, and I, I just I I felt like I missed that feature and it was the first time that I was like oh this feature might be something that I actually want and it's the first iPhone feature in a really long time that has done that for me, uh, which is interesting, but still not enough to go shell out however many uh, $1,100 or whatever and wait three months to get a phone.
1: No, you're making a good point. I think while I don't want compare it as a multitasking switcher or task, like a multitasker uh, type of application, I think it is a great element that takes... Like I mentioned, a technical, the physical constraint of the display and turning into we know people do ten thousand things with their phone. So let's show them in real time what are those three things, not not ten thousand, that are happening. And I've seen uh the state where the dynamic island ends up with two badge, one of each eye to tell you, hey, you're mm-hmm. you're listening to music or a podcast, and there are driving directions or walking directions uh i think at the time i was driving direction but i was not driving so it was safe to look at my display uh because i think yeah it was a moment where i was playing with my phone connected to carplay and then tony was uh mm. driving so so yeah no it, it, and then it was like oh yeah i was talking or was like scrolling to instagram and things like that and i was like oh yeah it tells me about both of things so that's pretty neat
0: yeah, to be clear, like I, I wasn't wanting it as a multitasking switcher type thing. I was more interested in having it up there tell me, hey, now is the time to turn right or whatever while I'm looking at another app. I think that would have been useful, and especially now that I may be traveling more to Montreal uh, for mm-hmm. work and stuff like that. I'm going to be relying on those directions more, uh, and it would be nice to have that kind of feature. But again, not a $1,000 enough. For me.
1: (laughs) Right. I wanna go back on something you just said about the Dynamic Island is it's a nice feature, but it's not something that would make you shut out for an upgrade. So let's talk about the feature that will make you shell out for an upgrade. And as and it is the camera upgrades. And
0: (laughs) we're gonna have an interesting discussion about that one because I have not used the camera on my phone in months.
1: interesting and (laughs) i could possibly not say that directly because i still use it uh here and there but uh for sure the photography journey of the last year has uh made some change to that but i don't think it downplays what i'm about to say which is in recent years camera upgrades have been the are the area where you see most changes between iphone generations yes and i put an s here because i think year per year to year no two years to two years yes three years to three years definitely mm-hmm. four years to four years like my goodness like it's leap ahead you need to at least skip one year to see big difference and even some moments i think for example uh going from the I'm not trying to make a mistake. So the iPhone 7 to the iPhone 10, where we got the telephoto lens for the first time, and even from the iPhone 10 to the iPhone 11... No, that was the XS in between. Let's ignore the XS, because the XS was doing some weird, like, filter thingy. Google Google it, you'll see what I mean, about your skin tone and things like that. Yeah, yeah, The 10 to the 11, which is now two years, you got the first time where you get the ultra-wide, and then in be- since then a couple of upgrades to all the lenses a couple of tweaks to the telephone lens and then now the big changes that is for this year and for me like i'd say for me but i think looking at my friends for a lot of people camera upgrades are the major driving factors to upgrade to any new phone whatsoever like if i see people just like oh they go get a new phone contract like, oh yeah but you know what this phone like The camera is way better than my old phone. Like, it is something I hear frequently and not just from nerd friends or camera nerds. Uh, And I would even say that, like, if I reflect, and that has been broken this year, but still, (laughs) if I reflect on my lack of buying a new digital camera for more or less the last 10 years, which, again, I know that has been broken this year, but still, uh, I did the math and it took... 12 years for me to buy a new DSLR and it's not even new it's new to me uh this is directly attributed to the leaps made in phone photography uh, by just getting a new iPhone or I wouldn't even say just by getting a new phone even if you don't agree that I think the iPhone uh, D is one of the best camera phones like you could have done the same thing with an Android phone from any brand's and you would have the same big upgrades every two or three years. For a lot of people, in most cases, the phone is the camera you always have with you. Uh, I think I mentioned that in my previous photo episodes, but in late 2019, just before the pandemic, uh, I went to Disney World and my iPhone was the main camera for this trip.
0: We had a whole episode about that, actually.
1: I forgot if, I think it was the, the iPhone 11 uh, Pro review episode yes. that we did about that. I wasn't sure if it was a photo episode or the, about the phone itself. We um, talked about fer- that trip,
0: though, quite significantly.
1: Okay, okay I wasn't sure. Again, uh, after 195 episodes, my memory tends to forget about things, even if I search through my show notes or my notes that I write. Uh, but uh, one note that I'd like to note though is even if it was my main camera, we did pay for the Disney photo package. So it does mean that I have some DSLR photos, but not taken f- by me. Uh, but in the end, like I bought the iPhone 11 Pro just before leaving for that trip. And if I reflect about that trip and see what I would do nowadays, like I don't think I would repeat the expense, not because it was a bad one, but now because I feel that I had quote unquote better tools i would definitely uh, bring the fuji x100 s uh, but don't get me wrong the iphone 11 pro would be an amazing complement to that camera uh, and the main reason that is all about the new sensor behind the wide camera quick then note a uh, quick tangent i want to note i'll mainly name it the wide sensor the wide lens I know Apple has been changing its name for the main camera to call it the main camera. Like, everybody says the main camera. But, again, I've been nerding out about photography for the past year, even more than before. And to me, 24mm full-frame equivalent focal length, that is the main camera on the phone, is not main, is wide. Uh, So, uh, again, I know... A lens closer to 50mm is what would be, what is considered a normal lens, which normal, main, makes more sense or cl- is closely related to me, even if that makes still uh, not really much sense. But I'll still call it wide because 24mm is wide, more or less. So uh, if I mix it up and then you hear me talk about the main camera, the wide camera, they're the same thing. So back to this sensor driving this wide lens. Um, the main upgrade is it went from 12 megapixel to 48 makeup, megapixel. And to know, today, this week, I don't want to go into like, full-on technical <laughs> details like Quad Bayer and what is a Bayer sensor and blah, blah, blah. But... I know smarter people have discussed this tech in great details uh, and I would like to include another link in the show notes from the makers of ALI, the amazing camera app. Uh, so in that post, uh, Sebastian De Witt, uh, dissects all the technical aspects of this new sensor and all the other niceties of the camera. But TLDR, what does it mean to have four times the number of megapixels, but more or less ending up with 12 megapixel photos in the end is that the new sensor uses four pixels and aggregate the light information it captured to make one pixel so you end up with way more light information captured which in theory and also in practice when this has been implemented previously whether it's in other phones or in other cameras it does mean that you have a a light signal like a digital signal that is less noisy to compare to just have one tiny pixel on a tiny sensor uh that is gathering light and also gathering light for the three subpixel that is green red and blue so now that you have four pixels doing that exact same job In practice, you end up with more light and better light for the same amount of light present in your life or when you take a photo. So it does mean for better quality of pictures. So, like i mentioned, you still end up with twelve megapixel photos you can ask to uh get to forty eight megapixel photos but in the apple default camera app you need to use their pro raw functionality uh for example uh in the Allied blog post from sebastian uh he was mentioning that you know what third party apps can ask to save a forty eight megapixel jpeg or EEC eek format of uh of format file, so if you want to do that way, without having to save, I think it's a seventy five megabyte a megabit uh no it's a seventy five megabytes sorry eighty I forgot, but a big file let's put it this way <laughs> uh because you're using ProRA, uh you can have a compromise by using third party camera apps to do that, but with jpeg compression or ek uh compression. So again, I understand that my explaining 4 pixel is a simplification of a simplification. For that, I strongly invite you to look at the blog posts on the lux.camera website, uh, which I think is pretty long to read and I've added great fun to it. Uh, but for the sake of conversation, I think that's the main thing you need to understand is if you have four sensors listening and being and taking their data aggregated into what used to be a one sensor, you more or less end up with a better signal, which means in the end for photo sensors, better photos.
0: It reminds me a lot of the same technology that we see uh, going on in upscaling technology that we discussed when uh, I was talking about the metal effects upscaling during mm. WVC. Same kind of idea, just applied to actual photography instead of upscaling stuff. Except in this case, we're actually creating a smaller image.
1: Right. But I think in the end, what does it really mean for you, somebody that takes photos with your phone and don't, do not doesn't really care about the technical aspect of our camera function? It means less reliance on light mode in low light situation. And that has been one of those where our ah, moment. So because the sense the lens for sure the lens i think is also helping for this but for sure the sensor is bigger and can capture more light Uh, you don't have to rely too, or you don't have to rely as much on long exposure on ai on machine learning or even capturing multiple shots to get a good image in archer light conditions and i think that's the moment where i realized this was one day I was coming back from home, and Yannick, I'll invite you to to, to 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 grab your phone and look at the picture I sent you. But yeah. I'll be drawing a fo- I'll be drawing the photos to our listener. Uh, maybe we'll put it in some chapter notes. I don't know. Maybe Yannick I'm will not... hate me saying that, but
0: yeah, I can try to do that if I remember. The other thing is, uh, you should also like put them on your photo blog and link them if it's not going to dox you. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I couldn't, yeah figure out the way to not dox me but <laughs> i'll draw the picture for uh, amazing listeners so i was coming back home and parking the car um and there was a big tree next to me and i was just like i, I wasn't porsche so i was closing the roof i was doing a couple of things where after being parked and i looked at my phone because i knew that i had got text messages while i was drawing and i just turned my head looked through the roof before closing it and then oh my fucking god there's a raccoon in the three like literally in the three and the raccoon was literally looking at me so i took two photos one with the wide lens and then one with the just to see you know it was a couple of days after i received the phone uh in mid-october and when i looked back at the photo taken with the wide lens and the wide sensor like the not the quality but the fact that it took a fit uh the photo fast because it didn't look light and modern, it was like I think at nine PM. So like sun was set for a while, the, the sky was pretty dark, and it, the street was just light up with the small LED lights that we have that are like designed to sh- uh to to uh spread light on the ground. So not that much like ambient light uh to lower like light pollution is what I'm trying to say here. I was astonished by the fact that this photo, I've taken a photo around my condo building just for other purposes at night. And with my previous phone, it was like always like taking a three second night mode or a one second night mode photo. Not here, it was literally click, photo was taken. And I think that, okay, you you know, like, I don't want to say that the photo is amazing because it's literally a photo of a raccoon in a three at night. There's nothing like artistic about it, but yeah, like, I was gonna I would... say
0: your rule of thirds is shit on this photo.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was no rule of thirds because I literally like a. I was surprised to see the raccoon, so I literally just snapped a photo of the raccoon, and it was like centered in the photo. I, I oh, you can. But I think that the funny part about this is not only the raccoon was there, but the way the light is, a thing. the The street signs, the street parking signs, like it seems that like I was like not using a flash, but using light towards the subject. It was just using the ambient light around me and not taking a long exposure shot. So that to me was when I realized, oh, okay, that's why they did that change with the main sensor. And that's what you can get out of it. You more or less can get less reliant on I was about to call them gimmicks, but I don't want to call them gimmicks because <laughs> I think they have improved general photography so much. But again, like tech, like I think they, they call it computational photography. Yeah, techniques. So this sensor relies less on those to make a good fi- a good photo out of a harsh light conditions, and that's amazing. While we're on the topic of improved light gathering capabilities. The ultra wide lens or the ultra lens and sensor combo got a bigger sensor too, not as big, so it's still a 12 megapixel. I think I don't remember the micron size and things like that, but it's bigger. It does mean though that the ultra wide lens went from something I rarely use, especially like in moments at night where uh, you are in front of a scene, a cityscape, a landscape but you cannot walk back enough so that it fits your frame in a more like traditional, like again, let's use the wide angle lens uh, so that it could fit. Uh, I think those are, cityscapes are perfect for this. Happens a lot. uh, Whether you're visiting a new city or you're just out with friends having fun at night, Uh, you would have to put more or less an X on the ultra-wide lens at night because it would end up with like the painting effect look where there's so much noise cancellation and then Mm. sharpening put that the photo looks like a painting, not like a photo. Um, And I think that was the main downside of the ultra wide, especially on the 11 pro is it required a lot of light to give you decent quality. Um, And couple of photos i've sent to yannick is that uh a week a weekend the last weekend there was a christmas train from the cn company that was going by uh in montreal and when the train was stopped at the station um we were able to see the 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 christmas themed wagons uh but again as you can imagine such activity and especially they were i think stopping at two train stations in montreal there was a shit ton of people so i couldn't like walk 10 meters back to try to make it f- fit into the wide lens frame. So I decided, you know what? I heard that the ultra wide camera is better in low light situation. And again, while they're not the most artistic pictures, just to remind me of this event and show pictures, to friends, I think they went from being passable to, oh crap, I'll just delete it. It's not so great to, They've been good and they'll be perfect to share on social media and not to print like 8x10, things like that. But they went from not working to being good enough. Uh, And it means that I think it will make me use the ultra-wide lens even more. It will remind me that it's a viable option, which was something that I would tend to forget uh, with the 11 Pro. Um, because it adds similar downside as the telephoto lens, which required a lot of light uh, to work correctly. And that, that, to me, that's where I'm a bit disappointed in those upgrades is because the main sensor got a great update. That's amazing. I will never complain about that. The ultra-wide got a great upgrade. And you know what? It's not the lens I'm used, so I'm really curious to see what I can do creatively with it on my phone. But a lens I know I was using a lot, and a lot because when you take photos of your friends, you even if it's just random photos and it's not like full on portraits. It's still portraits. And the telephoto lens is really good at that. But sadly, uh it seems that last year and even this year, uh this is some this is a lens it's a lens and sensor combo that didn't get that much love from Apple. And I'm kind of disappointed by that. Especially like it's since yeah, it's since the normal phones of the iPhone the normal iPhone lineup got the ultra wide. Like I still don't get why Apple put only the ultra wide on, uh, on, on the normal phones. I kind of know why because it's better for selfies. But it's not selfies if you're using the back cameras. <laughs> but still, uh, but to me, I could not show much. And you do you. But if you use digital zoom, please God don't do it ever that. Like. When I see family members that that just pinch to Zoom, I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's okay to take photos with your phone. I have zero problem with that. I do it all the time. But please, for the love of God, don't do digital Zoom because you'll just destroy your photos. And by not having a telephoto lens or by having a shittier telephoto lens, that's what Apple ends up doing for you is in a lot of situations, especially in low light again, they will swap back to the uh, main lens and then just do a digital crop like a 3x crop and maybe it's now that that is now going to be better uh with a bigger like a a higher resolution sensor that's literally what they're doing for the new 2x mode which is they take 12 megapixel out of the 48 megapixel sensor and then just do a crop which for that did I do 2x photos? I don't think I've done too much 2x photos. But that makes sense in theory. You still have lesser quality. Compared to what you would get with the quad Bayer functionality. And blah blah blah. But you would end up with photos that look like. It, they were taken from an iPhone 13 Pro. That had a more normal sensor. But just at 2x. Not at 1x. If we use Apple's Perlens. lens. So. The telephoto lens is kind of my disappointment. I really enjoyed, since it was added to the phone, since the iPhone X, I enjoyed it in the 11 Pro. But that's the part where I have to put an asterisk. It's like, oh yeah, every year you get, or every two years you get big changes on the camera. It's asterisk, except on the telephoto lens. So I do hope that <laughs> next year that gets to change because I would really have appreciated The changes we've seen for the ultra-wise lens, yes I know they're not getting a bigger sensor and things like that, but to see that uh, in the telephoto lens.
0: I understand it's untenable for them to try to have feature parity amongst all of those three lenses but at the same time it's just kind of unfortunate that you can't do it especially since the whole camera interface kind of makes it seem like it's one continuous camera instead of three distinct cameras it feels dishonest that suddenly it sucks at the same time it's like it's not entirely out of my realm of expertise because i have zoom lenses that have different apertures depending on how zoomed in you are right so it's like I, i i get that restriction as well it's just if you do the UI too well to the point that it looks like a single continuous camera and then you fail in certain ways, it's disappointing uh, in terms of performance, especially on a device that you label as pro.
1: Right. And the the exact same thing I can say about the fact, I think one of the main downsides, and I now see why people were annoyed by this, uh, is that especially on the 14 now, the main lens focusing distance, so the distance to the lens and the uh, sensor yeah is now bigger than when they used to be. So you need to be farther away for it to focus correctly. And to circumvent that, Apple is now more aggressively, even more than on the 13, switching back to the ultra-wide lens in macro mode. Mm. And I've seen that. Like, I, think one of the, what, what, I knew that was coming, so one of the features I, I want to enable the setting that shows you the macro badge so that I would know, but it's so jarring as a switch that you kind of know. <laughs> or... You know something happened, but maybe you don't know what it means if you're less uh, photographic savvy, if I can say so. So I agree with you that compared to a normal camera that has even like a fixed lens zoom lens. Yeah. Like you zoom, you know you're zooming because your finger is going tighter on the subject because you're zooming or you're going more loose because you're zooming out. When the phone does it automatically i know for most people it's fine but again uh not something that i particularly appreciate lastly i agree with you i know physically speaking that there are limitations for ultra wide lens or a telephoto lens that might mean less light can go through them compared to a wide to normal uh, lens but if, on top of that, you're giving them different sensors, you're kind of like already, they're already having a crotch that they need to fight against. Uh, and again, this doesn't downplay, I won't finish on this for the photography. I think, again, this new camera is making slowly, but, or no, it's making steadily the iPhone a great general purpose camera. And I haven't used the 12, the 13s, but compared to the 11 Pro to what I have now with the 14 Pro, I see the difference. Like the 11 Pro was a great phone camera. It was doing some great things, but I still felt its limitation. But the 14 Pro pushes the limit even more further. I think they're still there, but further that to me they're making it more a general purpose camera with those three lenses.
0: It's funny to hear you say that because I think for a lot of people, it's been like a decade that the phone has been the general purpose camera. It doesn't need to get better at being a general purpose camera because it already is the general purpose camera and that it's really adding like other lenses and stuff like that, which are features that if we're actually being honest, I don't think that many people actually use it. Fair. Fair like i i think it's you have to think about how many people like yeah of course you were you were making fun of the people who pinched to zoom and do the digital zoom thing which like i i get it. it it makes sense that people would do that because they've been trained to do that right to in their other apps to make things get bigger so i i mean i completely get the urge to do that but at the same time it's like i don't think anyone is necessarily complaining about the fact that the phone does not have multiple lenses right it's like it's a solution to a problem that very few people actually cared about
1: uh possibly uh and again my solution or my wish is that i kind of wish that there was less differences between the sensors yeah so i'm kind of asking for an interchangeable lens iphone kind of uh, but I'm not get your
0: uh, QX1 <laughs> right. I More Take or less, this to asking, the back of your
1: phone. Figure out a way so that they use the same big sensor. Is more or less what I'm asking. But I know it's not easy to do.
0: Yeah, but li- like you realize that what you're describing now is not a general purpose camera really it's a general purpose like enthusiast prosumer digital camera which is a different market and i think like for for general usage i think a lot of people have been fine with their phones for a decade and they are really like the the market that they've always been competing against is point and shoots which is why it's super interesting to me that i'm going back to point and shoots to some degree uh but In that respect, I think like iPhones have been very competitive and even outpacing uh, all but the highest end of point-and-shoots for a long time now. And I think for a lot of people, it's just a cherry on top that their phone is better after they upgrade it after three years. But I don't think anyone is actually sitting there with their list of these are the points that I want to be improved in the camera for the iPhone to finally replace my point and shoot camera <laughs> like it's you've you're no, already I, not using your point and shoot anymore like it you're, we've gotten to the point where the only people using point and shoots
1: are big fucking nerds. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh if I sounded like that's where I was thinking about that's not what I was thinking about or that that was not my intention. I I what I meant by I think a general purpose camera is to say the improvement in low light performance that iPhone got, whether it is from computational photography or just sensor tech or a sensor physics or lens physics means to me that like they fixed their last problem. That was, if we compare to literally five years ago, that was the Achilles of phone cameras. Low light performance. And mm-hmm. you know what? I think with this, especially on the main sensor, with this difference where you more or less need like those computational photography feature when you're literally in the middle of the woods. Like, that is an edge case of an edge case. And I think if you're just hanging out with friends in a bar, like, the last two, three years of iPhones have been so good for these scenarios that that's why, to me, I should have removed, I realized I should have removed the quite close eyes. It's just making it a great general-purpose camera. And I'm still surprised. And I, I think that's why I kind of downplayed this sentence a bit in my notes. I'm still surprised that even to this day, I still feel the urge to say that. That even if, more or less, the phone camera are near perfect, that I have to re-emphasize that, you know what, like... You don't need a DSLR even if I like DSLR or mirrorless. That's a different story that I'm sure we'll discuss in future episodes. Don't get me wrong.
0: I I guess the the point you're trying to make is that the camera is now versatile enough to handle most photography situations. Regardless of whether or not these are situations that you would actually find yourselves in regularly. Like, I, I don't think... Like, this is one of the things that kind of bothers me about the way that the iPhone camera is marketed. Is like, you'll see them like shooting these fancy portraits of people, and I'm like, nobody wants to shoot a fucking portrait with our phone. Like, I I get that it's possible, but are you not a
1: fancy portrait? But think about it. That's what we do with our phones. I take photos of my cats, they can be called portraits. I take photos of my friends, I take photos of me. They're all portraits, they're just not fancy or artistic. I guess that's
0: just like the weird thing that I've fallen into in the last year and I I sort of have a feeling this will tie up into your conclusion later so I'm not going to go expand too much on it but I feel like I have become much more attached to unitasker devices in the last few years and that if I am trying to produce something that I actually care about I will gravitate towards one of those devices unless it is a matter of I need to shoot this now and the only thing I have is my phone
1: that was not part of my conclusion, oh, but okay. that has been a uh, that is kind of spoiling a next episode, not oh. next next, but a future episode, kind of. Oh. Uh, uh, you're kind of summarizing my thoughts of more or less digital cameras, but let's oh. ignore that you said that. I mean, this uh, and- could also
0: apply to mini disc or game consoles or literally anything. It's just like true.
1: Sure, sure. But the fact we're talking about the photography section is kind of on point. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Uh but no, uh fair point. So now that photography is out of the way, I think it's time to reflect on the opening statement. Why do I find it bland in the end? Even if more or less I spent the last I didn't look at the time, but let's say 20 minutes talking about photography and it being the main or the major argument for why I more or less like this phone. The other parts, like dynamic island is nice, the always on display is nice, but I think you've mentioned it quite succinctly that they're nice. They kind of feel like a checkbox to be checked. They also feel like a reason to upgrade, and they kind of are. But they're they're not changing the appliance-ness of the phone. The phone still does the thing that it did great three years ago. Great. It still does your email. Great. It still does app browsing. It still does Twittering. Great. And that's kind of why I call it an appliance is we shouldn't think it's a bad thing to call an appliance. To me, when I now use this word and especially throughout this episode, yes, I call it blend. But... It's a blend technological appliance I rely on daily. Mm -hmm. If I wake up tomorrow and I press the power button, it will work. And I know I will work. I have to rely on it. And it does, its jobs there perfectly. We can always find things to nitpick about. And we just did that for the last five minutes about photography. (laughs) But that's why I think is my downside is at this point, I feel, and I'll use the iPhone, but I think you can even put in the S- S- Samsung blah, 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 or even Android phone. I think smartphone nowadays are too perfect. The
0: problem they were trying to solve has been solved. Apple solved it.
1: You're, you're correct. And I think that's kind of maybe why I'm a bit reminiscent of the old days of rapid iteration, because... Some might be called bad iteration. Let's talk about, we can talk about a couple of ones like the non flush headphone jack on the original iPhone. What the hell? But they were still imperfect iteration. They were not, that was bad. But most of them, they were just imperfect. Those iterations add soul. I was listening to our previous episode again and I was like, man. I remember when you asked me the question, I was like, like, would you like Sony to have succeed or you're just (laughs) happier that Sony failed? And that's kind of what I feel about a lot of tech these days, including smartphone, is problem is solved. So what do we do now? It's really
0: interesting because this lines up very well with something that happened on Select Button earlier this week where somebody who is an iPhone user and is thinking of changing their phone has been saying like is there any reason really for me to stick with iOS? Uh, because I feel like there's nothing exciting about new phone upgrades anymore. And I just want more novelty in my life. And I'm thinking of switching maybe to a folding Android phone or something like that. huh. And I think... That's very interesting because it reminds me a lot of people who nostalgia post on the internet and post like, uh, wouldn't it have been cool if the future had looked like this? And then they post a photo of the Vio UX uh, UMPC that we talked about last week. All right. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but that's a shitty product. <laughs> like we all know deep down inside, it's a shitty product. It has no battery life. It runs Windows Vista on a on th- uh, four inch screen. You don't actually want that product. You want the timeline in which cool products like this exist, but you don't actually want to use that product because your iPhone is 10 billion times better than that product. And that's really what's interesting about this whole sort of secondhand nostalgia culture that we're living in right now for um, for electronics and retro tech and all of that stuff is... It's far more interesting to look back on those failed experiments now than it was to be a user of those technologies back in the day. And even when you import those products, well, not necessarily import, but when you buy those products nowadays and try to do something with them, you very quickly realize the same limitations and have often been made worse because, like, their battery doesn't even last as long in their proprietary battery, so good luck doing (laughs) anything. Uh, And, like, it runs Windows XP, so as soon as you touch a network, you're infected with, like, 50 worms or whatever. Uh, Right like putting that aside like there was personality in those devices and it was still a sign of an industry that didn't really know where they were going so there was still a lot of experimentation and that's what we're seeking we we were young enough to see that part of the industry and we were like shit are all the problems solved now (laughs) like is there anything cool coming up in tech that isn't going to take over the world and kill us and it's very
1: worrying thing no, it's interesting that you call it a worrying thing because you mentioned too that like that personality I feel a lot of those imperfect products add a soul and I think that's what goes out a bit when I call something an appliance. It's it become a bit sterile and that's fine. I'm not saying it's bad per se because again I can rely on it. Like I don't want a dishwasher that doesn't wash my dishes but does fancy music that runs a weird sony os for no reason and then requires memory (laughs) stick oh my god i would love the washer dryer
0: combo with memory stick
1: (laughs) that would be fun to read and i watch youtube videos about it but that would be a shitty appliance and that's i think where i i kind of lie right now is I knew it's an appliance. I kind of missed the old days of just rapid iteration. Not for the sake of rapid iteration, but because a problem... I think you, the, you put it quite well, is who, what companies were trying to solve this problem. And it wasn't an area I was always curious about. Like, I didn't care about how Thinkpads were solving Windows laptop issues. Like, no. I don't care. But smartphone compatible computers always been an an area of interest for me since my young age but now that has been solved more or less because it has been tried to be solved for the last 20 years or even more like i don't care too much about vr i don't care too much about flip phones even if there's kind of a nostalgia effect about like flip smartphones that i think people thinks about but still the problem is solved and I don't know what will be my next tech nerd category where I will feel this. But right now, I guess I'm more more reminiscent of those times where more or less the world was inviting the perfect smartphone. And now we're living in that time where the perfect, the perfect smartphone exists.
0: Yeah, we, we were all gadget addicts. And now we're chasing the next high, except there's no next high because the smartphone <laughs> is it and yeah that's really weird Uh, especially since like we've we got to see a lot of the world of gadgets happen around us as we were growing up and it just feels like there's a part of the world missing all of a sudden because
1: the smartphone has consumed it all true and don't get me wrong like you can be a big vr fan you can be a big like i don't know what next gadget is around but i think vr could be considered one of them yeah like, pretty much uh, you I can mean... be one like but it's not me like don't get me wrong like we're watching like we've quoted in the past year a lot of uh cathode renewed videos because they're all about like camcorders photography gear or, like computers because that's our niche where i'll say we because Yannick and i we talk a lot about this but like that's where we- We are. That's a side of gadget we're fond of. But if if you
0: even just look at all of the videos that Cathode Ray Dude has done over the, I think three years for his most recent run Mm -hmm. of videos he's made, like think of how many of those devices you do all that shit on your phone now. Like your phone is your camcorder, your phone is your computer, your phone is everything. He talks about has been replaced by the phone, and that's why like. There's this hole in our lives that is just like, where is the excitement from this constant new shit coming out? And it's just like, we're inventing new machine learning techniques. Well, that's not really our area of expertise. Like we want the physical nope. aspect, not just the, Oh, yeah, cool technology. And I don't know. I mean, like there's certainly stuff like going on in robotics and all of that stuff, but like it's, or like self driving cars, but th- there's just the area that has not been taken over by the smartphone is getting smaller and smaller by the day and i don't think it overlaps with our personal brainworms that we would actually care about those things which is unfortunate and i think that's kind of what we're missing out on and at least for me it's making me go back and look at devices from the past that i should have appreciated more in the moment and mm-hmm. uh i am
1: now <laughs> yep uh lastly I don't think it, this all discussion makes the iPhone 11 Pro a bad update. Not
0: really. You mean the 14 Pro? Yes. That's sorry. how forgettable it was. You forgot. It was...
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, the 14 Pro. What did I say?
0: You said the 11 Pro. Oh, my
1: goodness. Wow. Okay. I didn't even realize it. But so, yes, the 14. I don't know. Even if I, I had a funny lapses here, I don't think it's a bad update at all but this whole episode and review to today is my strange way to say it's a near phone that has limited personality and i think that's more or less what i think about recent smartphones
0: yeah i pretty much agree i think uh like i'm still rocking the 10r and i don't know when i'm going to upgrade my phone like i'm thinking about maybe going to japan in early 2024 Uh, So I would like to update my phone by then just because I imagine I'm going to benefit from massive camera upgrades and a battery swap, and that is probably going to be worth it. But I'm not excited about getting a phone upgrade. It's more like just, oh, yeah, you've reached the end of your lifetime to get the new thing, uh, which is really weird because I am ostensibly a gadget guy. But there you go. And the thing that is maybe the most, like, going back to what I said about my doc earlier, like, I, I felt this the last few phones I've gotten, like, if it wasn't for the change in screen size for the last few phones, I would have just installed my apps on my new phone, and it would be indistinguishable from the previous one, because I would keep running the same apps, having the same wallpaper, and doing the same shit that I usually do, it's just on a slightly shinier phone. and when the bulk of your device is a screen that is reflecting software to you and you can run the same software on the old phone and the new phone at 98 percent, except for the new features that the phone has that are software locked you don't really feel like it's a new phone that much
1: Hmm. agreed totally agree with you on that cool so that's it it
0: is it All right. If you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can find them at limitless, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 195. You can also find every episode of the show at limitlesspossibility.net. I just noticed we are five episodes away from episode 200. That is crazy. We are. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. This, of course, assumes that Elon Musk does not accidentally shut down the servers uh, in the intervening time. If for some reason he does, uh, I am also posting updates regarding the podcast on co-host at cohostorg hostorg slash soccerina, And I am on the Fediverse at Sakarina at icosahedron.website, which I just realized is a horrible name to be trying to spell on a podcast. Yeah. Sorry, Uh, that's my friend's (sighs) server. I don't make the names here. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, We are also individually on Twitter, although I'm only checking once a week nowadays. Uh, uh, Better than me. I am at Sakarina, that's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A, and you can find LeCodivier at...
1: Luconos. that's L-U-C-C-O-N-U-S-H-E.
0: And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.